you would with me this morning over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Passage that the Lord put on my mind this morning. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 12 and 13, but we're going to kind of skim through a few verses in the first chapter and some in the later chapters here in Philippians, but Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 is what I'd like to look at this morning, if the Lord be pleased to allow us. Let's bow and have a word of prayer. Our Lord, we thank you this morning for all that you are and all that you've given us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the blessings, eternal blessings that you have given us through our head, through the uh, one who is elected, the one who is given authority over all flesh, the one who is ruling and reigning even now on the throne of David ruling over the nations, we in his kingdom. Father, Lord, we are so grateful to be a part of that kingdom. We're so grateful to grace. We're so grateful to mercy, to your will, to your purpose, salvation. And so, Father, Lord, we just pray that you just might uh, give us this morning the ability to come before you and to honor you and to praise you, to worship you, in truth, Spirit, Father, Lord, we just ask that the Spirit enable us this morning to understand, to teach us. Lord, we know that He is the true teacher. There is really only one preacher, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and He preaches to His people through the Holy Spirit, Lord. And so even though I stand up here and I form words and I make noise, we know that without the Spirit being the teacher that we would know nothing. So we ask him to come and help us today. Pray for these brethren that they might be edified, that they might be given uh, understanding, that they might be drawn to you, Lord, that you might even today among these that are here, that you might grant repentance and faith uh, to your people, and that you might give them uh, the right understanding of the gospel, that they might understand their sinfulness before you and their need of Christ, and that, Father, that they might believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ as their salvation. And, Father, that they might follow in obedience to your command to be baptized. That we might add them to the number of the church here. And Lord, we just ask that you just might continue to use our church here uh, as a place for people to come to be edified. Lord, that you might draw your people and build your church as you see fit, Lord. That you might uh, continue to give us faith to keep us persevering in the gospel or that you might keep us from error that you might keep us from falling away or we just pray that you just might protect us and keep us in jesus name we pray amen <laughs> i wrote something this morning posted it on facebook <clears throat> kind of a premise of kind of what my thoughts were in uh, these verses i woke up this morning thinking about these verses um have talked to the 
discussed these verses with other men back and forth throughout the years, debated these verses with people of different faiths, <coughs> but do not believe like we do uh, over these verses and what they mean. Uh, for years, uh, I preached uh, verse 13, or excuse me, verse 12, but never connecting it with verse 13, never finishing up with verse 13, uh, preached verse 12 hard. <clears throat> but brethren, we cannot, we cannot know the good, cannot know the truth of verse 12 unless we know the truth of verse 13. Um, this morning I wrote on Facebook, for those that haven't read it yet, I said, if all one sees in the scriptures is the literal, practical teaching of them, then that man has missed the greater purpose of those <coughs> teachings. And I believe that's pretty common. We read, a lot of times we'll read the Bible at face value and we'll take it and we'll try to make some application, practical application to that whenever there's a fuller, deeper spiritual application that is being told here. And it's not <coughs> the practical part that Paul or Peter or Matthew, Mark, Luke, John uh, is writing about. It's about, and of course they're writing because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is telling us these things. They're writing a deeper, richer, more fuller thing than what sometimes we stop to do. And the reason for that is because we, as still in this flesh, uh, love our self-righteousness. We love our work. We love our duty. We love our good job. We did, we did well. We like to, uh, we like to pump ourselves up. And, and it's a nat- it's natural for us to do that thing. You know, I have awards that I've won throughout the years. I keep those awards. A lot of people like to display their awards on their wall and all their stuff that they've done, you know. We like to pat ourselves on the back. We like to pump ourselves up and show how good of a person or what all the accomplishments we've made. We like to be told what to do. Therefore, we can turn around and get after it and do it so that we can say we have kept it. We've done it. We've accomplished it. We've, you know, we're trustworthy to do all the things that we were told or given to do. And in some cases, that's not bad, you know. Like me as an employee, you know, I'm given to do a task or to go to do a work and everything. And I should do that to the glory of God. And I should go and I should do my best. Whenever I'm at work, I should work my best at work and not try to, you know, cheat my boss, not try to slack, not try to, you know, do the very minimal that I have to or anything like that. Do I do that sometimes? To my shame, yes, I have done that. I do, I do that sometimes. We all do. We all slack. But we like the practical. We love to be given the practical because when we're given the practical, then we can try to accomplish the practical. And when we accomplish the practical, then we get the praise and the glory. And that's what our flesh loves. That's what we like to hear. That's what we love to hear in our flesh, in our Adamic man. I wrote this morning... To stop at the practical application of the scriptures is to rejoice in the shell while disregarding the kernel. What's inside? 
If you stop with the practical, you're just stopping at what's on the outside, the surface part. You're not getting into the very good. If I was to give you a pecan, and all of us have had pecans, if I was to give you a pecan, you took that pecan, and you just looked at that and peeled off the outer part of that and ate it, you're probably never going to eat another pecan again, are you? You didn't really get to the good of what that pecan really is. A pecan really is more than just that outer shell. It's got something inside that is rich, that is good, that is delicious, that keeps you wanting to come back to pecans, okay? Because that outer shell, it's not going to keep you coming back to the pecans, okay? Unless you're some weirdo and you like <laughs> nasty, bitter, <laughs> dry your mouth out <laughs> stuff. But anyway, so if we if we come to the Bible and we just come looking for those practical, give me the practical things, preacher. Just tell me what to do. If you come to look at these things and just the natural things, the physical things and we don't see them, if the Spirit doesn't give us to hear and to see and to believe upon the more deeper and fuller things that are there for our learning and for our understanding and for our growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's like having the shell and not the goody inside. Any discussion, I wrote, any discussion or exhortation unto good works which does not include a consideration of the source and power of those good works, is but an exercise in the flesh, which will do nothing but confirm a man in his own self-righteousness and stimulate his pride in his own obedience. And I believe that the scripture is very clear about that. Uh, pride puffs up. It puffs us up. Whenever we're prideful about what we accomplish, it puffs us up. It makes us think that we're something than we are. And so whenever we look to our any good works that we might be doing, uh, and we believe that we're accomplishing those good works, then it's going to puff up, and pride is going to puff us up. And we're going to, as I said here, we're going to uh, revel in our own self-righteousness, and our own obedience. And we're going to talk a lot about our own obedience. How much I've done this. How much I've done that. This is what I've done. Whenever we start talking about uh, being saved and things like that, if people automatically go into, well, I go to church and I did give this much or I do this or I do that. Do that. Mr. Mark, as a pastor, and over the years, sorry guys, my allergies or something is killing me today. My eyes are itching. My throat is scratchy. Back of my nose is just nasty. It's my wife's fault. She's been cleaning all week. Got dust all in the house. Where was I? As a pastor over the years, I often talk with people whenever they've come to our church and they're seeking to join our church uh, and everything. And I begin to <coughs> ask them questions about a lot of things because we want to be very careful about who we bring into membership because if they are not believers we don't you know we don't want them to be members of the church if they're not believers they have to be believers of the gospel uh to be a member of the church i mean they have to repent and believe be baptized scripturally to be a part of the local church and so we're very careful with that and so i'll always ask them you know 
how are you saved? You know, tell me about your salvation. And if immediately they go into, well, I was such a bad person, a drunk, or blah, 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 now I'm different, totally changed, and, you know, I, I kept fighting against the Lord, kept fighting against the Lord, and finally I give in, and or finally I let the Lord be the Lord of my life, whatever the case might be, if it goes down to what they've done, and now it's I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that, then I see that that person doesn't quite understand the gospel. They don't, they haven't believed the gospel, they're still <laughs> believing in self-righteousness. They're believing in works, that their salvation came by them accomplishing something, and that the proof of that accomplishing something is that, look at me, I've cleaned up my life now. I've quit drinking, I've quit smoking, I've quit you know, gambling, I quit, whatever the case might be, that you want to put down as an evidence of being cleaned up, okay? So again, what we're doing is we are confirming our own self-righteousness and we're confirming our own obedience as what is to be accepted by God. And so again, if we do not consider whenever the Bible tells us, because the Bible is full of um, of admonitions, it's uh, full of uh, uh, of uh, of uh, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's full of what we see as commands, you know, to press forward, to do this. If we look at all those things and think that we, by our own efforts, can just decide to do that, get after it, and accomplish those things, then we're sorely missing the goody inside of the pecan. I think that we, by our own efforts, are able to perform one good work. We are self-deceived. The Bible says that we can do nothing. The Bible says that we have no good works, no righteousness. Now, does the someone will say, well, wait a minute, doesn't the Bible say that we were predestined before the foundation of the world unto good works? Absolutely, but them works are not our works. Those works are the works of God. They're the works that have been given to us by God. And so that's kind of what I wanted to look at this morning is in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. And like I said, I preach verse 12 hard and heavy before God give me the understanding of the gospel. Uh, back whenever I was a religious zealot who just was preaching uh, duty faith, who was preaching uh, uh, preaching self-righteous works, uh, and we didn't call them that. You know, we didn't say that. That's what they were. That's what I was preaching. But we didn't view them that way because I didn't know any different. I thought that's what it was. Just like Paul. Whenever Paul mentions, and he, matter of fact, he mentions it later in... Uh, in, uh, in this letter to the uh, Philippians, he says, Though I might have confidence in my flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So if he says, if we're talking about comparing who's the best in the flesh, I can, I can take the prize right here. He says, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. 
But Paul said, while I thought all those things were gain for me, those were things to pat myself on the back, to, to look at myself as a very righteous person, a godly man. Paul said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. So he says, this is, everything that I'm telling you, and this goes, this right here is after Paul says what he says that we're fixing to read. Paul is saying, all this that I'm saying here is not to tell you to go out and try to keep the law so that God will look on you as righteous. Or not to go out and keep the law so that you might have some sort of an assurance because you're keeping the law. He's saying, I'm telling all of this stuff about good works. I'm telling you all of this because it's a statement of fact. It's a matter of fact. This is who we are and this is what is happening in us if we are the people of God. It's about believing on Christ. That is the, that is the work that God is calling us to do. Everything else is outward fleshly things that can be mimicked by any person, by the way. Any reprobate can mimic the things outwardly that Christians do. They can go to church. They can give a tithe. They can pray a prayer. They can be baptized. They can, they can give to the poor. They can go and help their neighbor do whatever their neighbor needs help with. They can read their Bible. They can memorize the scripture. They can do all these things. They can do all the religious activities. But they cannot believe on the Lord Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. They cannot look to Christ and say, I know that in me dwells no good thing, but that my salvation is of the Lord. That he has been my substitute. That I don't have to do anything that he's given to me freely. Christ has performed all that is required of me. They can't do that. They still think there's something that they have to do. They still think that there is something that they have to accomplish. And Paul is saying here, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, keeping outward, outward ordinances, because the works that God has given us to do, should I say, and we're going to see this here in a minute, the fruits of righteousness. The fruits of righteousness is not outward appearance, but it's inward works. It's spiritual words. It's spiritual gifts that is given to us. It's spiritual words because it's done by the Spirit of God that's in us. Therefore, the works are spiritual. Therefore, those are things that are on the inside that are working themselves out in us, not outside of us necessarily. Now, that doesn't mean that that doesn't appear outwardly by stuff, but the works that are being talked of are inward works. And he says, not having a righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The righteousness that we have is by the faith of Christ, His work, His faithfulness. Our righteousness is His obedience. 
Mike's righteousness is not him obeying the law, keeping all the good works that are there to do outwardly. That's not Mike's righteousness. Mike's righteousness has nothing to do with do. Mike's righteousness has everything to do with what Jesus done. If I have a righteousness before God, that righteousness is the faithful work of Jesus Christ that he did in his own person. Not that something that he give and put in me that is to be worked out of me, and therefore if it's worked out of me, therefore now I am righteous. No, the righteousness that we have and the only righteousness that we have is one that was a substituted righteousness that was accomplished by Jesus, but laid to our name, laid to our account. And that's what Paul is saying. I don't want to have a righteousness that's of my own according to the law because I know that that righteousness does not exist. It cannot exist. It will never exist. I am enabled because of my flesh, because of who I am in Adam, I am unable to keep the law which requires perfect obedience all the time, every law. Not part law, not the moral law, not the civil law, not the ceremonial law, okay? It's all the law, everything. If I don't keep that, I'm a sinner. And if I sin against God, then I deserve God's wrath. <clears throat> the wages of sin is death. So if I'm relying on the <laughs> law, if I'm relying on the good works that I perform for my righteousness to show forth my righteousness, to keep a righteousness, to make God say, hey, good job, fella. <clears throat> then I've misplaced my faith in myself instead of Christ. And so I'm no longer looking unto Christ, but I'm looking to myself. I'm now not obeying the gospel. I'm not living by the fruits of righteousness. I'm living by the flesh. I'm not walking in the Spirit because the Spirit will lead you in the paths of righteousness. What is the paths of righteousness? <coughs> the paths of righteousness is not do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. The paths of righteousness is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who is your righteousness. <coughs> but let's look here. Verse 12, Philippians chapter 2. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed. Now, we know that that's not true if we're talking about laws, right? If we're talking about laws, this is not true because we know the Philippian people have not always obeyed God's laws. But what's he talking about? As ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. How has these Philippian believers... Always obey. Well, if we look back in chapter 1, and turn with me to chapter 1. <clears throat> Let me read verses 1 down through 6. It says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. Timotheus, by the way, is Timothy. You know, the two letters that he wrote to Timothy, that's who he's talking about, Timotheus. The servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you, 
and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requ- making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So he's given given a time frame. What's the time frame that he's that he's put in context here? That he's writing these brethren. From the first time they begin to fellowship in the gospel until the time he's writing this letter. So whenever that was that he first went to Philippi, and we know that the first time he went to Philippi was after some time around the, the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. It was some time after that. Uh, don't know the exact dates. Someone that's smarter than me might know that. But <clears throat> we know that it was after that. So from that point... Until he writes it, that's the time period. But what is it that that sparks that beginning of time? The fellowship in the gospel. When they begin to fellowship in the gospel, he said, "There was a time whenever we began to fellowship in the gospel." What does fellowship in the gospel mean? The Bible talks a lot about Christian fellowship, about unity about being united in our in our fellowship with other Christians, right? And people talk a lot about being in unity. They have unity services. A lot of times they'll have unity services at all these other churches. They'll have unity services and they'll have the Methodist and the Presbyterians and they'll have the Church of Gods and the Church of Christ and the Catholic Church and they'll have the uh, uh, Episcopalians and they'll have the Assemblies of Gods and they'll have the all these other all these other denominations all coming together and they'll come together in the in the sake and under the banner of unity to all get together and put our differences aside and we're all coming together because we all love Jesus and we all are serving the same God. And they believe that that's what unity is. That's what fellowship is. They're fellowshipping with each other. But brother, that's not what biblical fellowship is. Biblical fellowship is fellowship that is always, will always, can never be anything other than fellowship in the gospel. And that's fellowship in the doctrine of Christ. And if they do not have the doctrine of Christ, then... They are not to be fellowshiped with. That's why we don't share church services with people that don't believe like we do. That don't believe according to the gospel. Because they don't believe according to the gospel, we can't fellowship with them. The Bible says, what fellowship hath light with darkness? You say, well, that's kind of harsh to say that those people are darkness. Well, the Bible says they are. The Bible says that if they are not preaching Christ then they're antichrist, right? If they're not preaching Christ, they're antichrist. If they're not preaching the gospel, they're preaching a false gospel. And Paul said in Galatians, as we learned as we was going through Galatians, that there is no other gospel. There's only one gospel, and every other gospel is a false gospel. And if anyone's preaching a false gospel, he's not a servant of Christ. Therefore, these other churches that are claiming to be servants of Christ, churches that are worshiping Christ and preaching Christ and fellowshipping in Christ are just going through motions of pagan things. They're going through the motions of antichrist 
rhetoric. They're going through the motions of antichrist religion. That is, robe to look like an angel of light, but really isn't. It's a deceiving thing. And they think that they're fellowshipping, but we can't fellowship with that because it's darkness. It's falsity. It's, it's wrong. And so we don't fall, fellowship with that. Here Paul is saying they begin to fellowship in the gospel. Their fellowship wasn't in, oh, I like you and I like you. Oh, you're a good preacher. Well, you're a good preacher too. Well, we ought to get together and fellowship because you're a good preacher. It isn't about that. It isn't about who cooks the best food. We like to go and fellowship with the church of Choctaw, right? They always have good food. It's always great to go to their conference and have three days of good food. But guess what? We don't go to fellowship because of the food. And eating around the table as great as it is and as edifying as it is whenever we're preaching or whenever we're visiting with those that we haven't seen in a long time, eating the lunch together isn't just isn't necessarily fellowship. What makes that fellowship a lot of times is the fact that we are fellowshipping in the same gospel. This brother here believes the same gospel as I am and we love each other because we both have been given to believe the same thing. Therefore, we have fellowship one with another because we have the same gospel. That's whenever this began. So whenever Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed. When, how have they obeyed? They have obeyed the gospel. They have obeyed in not only the preaching of the gospel, the defense of the gospel, but actually the belief of the gospel. They have, they have believed on Christ alone for their righteousness and turned away from the works religion that they thought that they might have of righteousness before God from good works. They've turned away from that and they are looking only to Christ. They are walking in the Spirit or walking in faith towards Christ Jesus. That's how they've obeyed. That's what he's talking about when he said you have always obeyed. So from the time we first began fellowship in the gospel, whenever Paul came and preached to them and the Lord had already quickened those brethren and given them ears to hear and eyes to see and they received the gospel and they believed it, from that moment they began to fellowship in the gospel and from that time until the, Paul, until the time Paul's writing this letter, they have continued and not been pulled away like the Galatians did. They have not... They have not left the faith. They have not become lukewarm like the Laodicean church. They, they have obeyed the God. They have preached, defended, and they have continued to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they have continued to walk in faith. They have continued to repent of dead works, repent of false gospels, and to believe the only and true gospel and look to Christ alone for salvation. Look at verse 6. He says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work, who began the good work? Christ. Who's the good work being done in? He who hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Who will perform it? He will perform it. He who begun a good work in you will perform it in you until the day of Jesus Christ, the day that Jesus comes again. So these Philippians began their fellowship in the gospel whenever God had not only quickened them, 
given them new life, raise them from being dead in trespasses and sin, and give them spiritual understanding, giving them spiritual eyes, giving them spiritual ears, and they believe the gospel. He gave them faith to believe. That wasn't their faith, it was Christ that gave them the faith to believe on Him. That's not the faith that justified them. The faith that justified them was the faith of Christ that actually performed the works of righteousness when He walked on earth. The faith He gives them is the faith that receives that work that Christ did on their behalf and says, I believe that that's my salvation and that alone. I can't do anything to gain it. Only He can. And He did it, and I trust that He's given it to me. That is the faith of Christ given to us, and it doesn't justify us before God in any legal way whatsoever. He which begun a good work in you. What good work? The belief of the gospel. Repentance of dead works. That good work that causes us to fellowship in the gospel, He has begun in you, and He will perform it. Who will perform that good work? Christ will perform it. He's the one who gives the measure of faith, the Bible says. <clears throat> the Bible says not all men have faith. Have you ever read that in the scriptures? The Bible says that, that all men have not faith. I thought everybody had faith. Didn't they have faith? And if we just take our faith from this object and put it on this object, now, you know, take 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 our faith, who's, we're putting our faith right now in the object of our self-righteousness and our works. But now I'm taking my faith and placing it in the object of Jesus Christ alone. Is that is that what? I mean, if everybody has faith, then everybody can change the object of their faith and move that object around. Well, that's what I used to preach. That's what I used to believe. And sadly, that's what a lot of people still believe. A lot of people, we call them Armenians, but that's what a lot of people believe. They believe that their faith is their faith and that their faith can be changed by their choice from looking to whatever and looking to Christ. But it's not their faith. The Bible says that faith is the gift of God. If it's a gift of God, it means that it was given to you. And if it was given to you as a gift, that means you didn't have it to begin with. Right? It's Avonlea's birthday today. She got a gift from Kaylin. She got some shoes from Kaylin. Before Kaylin gave her that gift, she didn't have those shoes. Now she has those shoes. Can we say that those shoes were hers? They're only hers because Kaylin gave her the shoes. They're now her shoes. But the, but the shoes are actually Kaylin's. Kaylin bought them. Kaylin gave them to her. But she didn't have them before. The faith that we have is the faith. Yes, is, are we the ones who have this faith and work this faith? Yes. We're the ones who actually trust in Christ Jesus alone. But is that our faith? No. It was a gift. It was Christ's faith that he gave us because we didn't have faith to begin with and he gave it to us. And now we have that faith and we are now able to have that faith to trust in Christ Jesus. That's why he gave it to us so that we can trust because without that faith that he gave us, we cannot trust in him. 
We cannot do it because only His faith given to us can trust in Him alone. Because our natural faith that we have in our natural man only trusts in ourselves. It trusts in our works. So the only people that can ever trust in Christ are the ones who have been given a faith that is not their faith outside of them gives them a supernatural faith, a divine faith that only looks to Christ alone. And that faith will only look to Christ alone for their salvation. It now becomes their faith, but it's not their faith, it's because of Christ. And they're not working that faith because that faith is not part of this fleshly man. It's something from above. And the only thing that's in us or part of us that is not of our flesh is that new creation that has come down from above that now dwells in us who gives the measure of faith. So the reason that these brethren have always obeyed and in the context the obeying is the obeying of the gospel believing on Christ is because that he which began the good work is performing it. Until the day of Jesus, they will continue to be obedient to Jesus as long as He gives them faith. Look, verse, look down, verse eleven. It says, "Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, under the glory and praise of God." The fruits of righteousness, repentance and faith, are fruits of righteousness. Love for God, love for the brethren. Fruits of righteousness. These are inward works. Inward things. But they are by Jesus Christ. These fruits of righteousness are things that we can do or work ourselves. I can't just decide, okay, well I'm going to be repentant today. And just do it. God has to do it. God has to give me the mind to say, I I need to turn from that. Look at verse 25. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all, for your furtherance and joy of faith. Paul's ministry among them, as with, as is any preacher, their ministry is for the furtherance and the joy of the faith. Is to is to edify us. Is to is to uh, confirm the truth of the gospel in the ears of the brethren, providing them encouragement, providing them uh, uh, confidence. Uh, in, in what the scriptures say. It's, it's there for their furtherance and joy of what? Faith. Look at verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Let your walk be that which is of the gospel of Christ. What's the gospel of Christ? That Christ has done it all. There's no works involved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So how is our conversation supposed to be? How is our walk? That's what the conversation means. The word conversation doesn't mean talking back and forth. Conversation in the biblical term here means the way that we walk. Our action. Our attitude. What's our action? Our attitude? To believe the gospel. Let our actions or let our conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now the faith of the gospel here means the doctrine, that the body of doctrine. The body of doctrine of the gospel. 
What are they to stand on? What are they to stand in? As a church, what do we stand on here? We stand on our love for each other. Well, our love for each other can only come if we have something else. That's a love for God's Word. A love for the truth. The love for the Gospel. The love of the Gospel is what comes first. God gives us a desire or a repentance from dead works and a desire to believe that Christ is our only. So the gospel is what we, everything is surrounded around. And I'd say Christ is what we're surrounded around because he's the, he's the message of the gospel. But we come surrounded because of the gospel. We surround each other because of our love for the gospel, because of our walk in the gospel. Look at verse 29. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him. So what is given to us? To believe on Him. It's given to us. So that means we didn't have it. Just like Abby Shoes, she didn't have those bands, but she does now. Why? Because it was given to her. All men do not have faith, but when Christ gives them faith, it's not them, it's not theirs. It's Christ. Alright, back to chapter 2. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, and ye know now that that's talking about belief of the gospel. Not only is in my presence only. So they weren't fair weather, you know, believers. They didn't just believe when the preacher was around. Okay? We see that all the time, you know. Whenever the preacher's around, everybody starts acting, acting right. Start talking religious. I see that often whenever people that I work around, whenever they find out that I'm a preacher, all of a sudden they want to start talking religious. And most of the time, it, what they're saying isn't biblical or spiritual. It just sounds religious. They start using religious, vague, general religious language. But Paul is saying here, listen, you guys are obeying the gospel not just because I'm there. You're doing it whenever I'm not there, which shows it's a genuine work. Faith is a genuine thing that's been given. We're not just believing the gospel whenever we're here at church. This is really something that is part of our life. Everything that we are, we believe Christ Jesus. He says, but now much more in my absence, he says, and here it is, and this is where I'd always stop. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I would preach that. Work out your salvation. You've got to work out that salvation that, that you've got from Christ. Christ saved you, so now you've got to get in there and work it out. You've got to get in there and prove that salvation by your good works. Get in there and prove that salvation by your righteousness. We prove that we've been saved by all these things that we do. We've a changed life. Man, we have turned around. We're becoming, we're being sanctified and may become more holy. And that's not what the Bible is teaching. It's not what it teaches. It's not what it teaches about sanctification. It's not what it teaches about our holiness. It's not what it teaches about our flesh and our ability to do. It's not talking about what our works are. That's not what the Bible says. That again is that it's that religious thing that has been taught to us over and over and over and over and over again in the philosophies and the traditions of men that have become so ingrained into our mind that unless the Holy Spirit teach us, and that's the only way we have to be taught this. 
By the Spirit. Because if the Spirit doesn't convince us, there is no convincing otherwise. Because the flesh is always going to gravitate towards works. If the Spirit doesn't teach us this, and then give us the confidence, and therefore give us the rest, to rest in Christ alone, and not worry about, I don't have to perform all these good works to be righteous. My righteousness is not my righteousness. It's God's righteousness. It's Christ. That rest only comes from the work of the Spirit in us. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But verse 13 is there. You can't ever divorce verse 12 with verse 13. And the very thing that I wrote this morning on Facebook where I said, if we just stop at the practical, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and not move into the deeper, richer, fuller, spiritual understanding of where does that good work come from? How is that good work accomplished and what kind of good works are we talking about? If we don't go past that superficial work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that right there is music to the flesh's ears. Great. Give me my list. Tell me where to go and I'll get after it. But if we move on to verse 13, it says four. That word four there means because. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because. The reason that you're going to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, this, this charge or this, what it seems like, command is a statement of fact and he's telling us Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, as ye have always obeyed, as you have always, as you have from the very beginning walked in continuance of the gospel, as you have continued to walk in faith, as you have continued to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, as you've looked at Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of your salvation, the end of your salvation, as you look at Him as all in all, as you look at Him as your righteousness, as your substitute, as your surety, as your redemption, as your sacrifice, as your obedience, as you look to Christ for everything, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Turn from dead works and keep looking to Him as you have always been doing. Paul is, Paul is exhorting them to continue to keep looking, quit walking in, don't walk, don't turn back, don't turn back to looking to works. As you have always obeyed, continue to obey. Obey what? Good works? Drinking, smoking, doing, not doing those things? Doing good works? Going to church? Reading the Bible? Doing that? No. Continue in what? Believe in Christ. Looking to Christ. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For or because it is God which worketh in you. Who's the one that's doing the work? You. Do we have works that God has before ordained that we should walk in? Yes. But who's doing the works? Not us. Him. 
It's God's work. For we are His workmanship. We are His workmanship. That means God's doing the working. And He's created us. And He's working in us. He's the workman. We are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in. And we are going to walk in them. Why? Because he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it. He that hath begun the good work, who's doing the good work? He. Who's going to perform it? He. How long? Till the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul is exhorting them something that he already knows that God is going to do in them because he's already laid the claim by the Holy Spirit that he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul knows that if these people are truly children of God and have been given divine faith to trust in Christ Jesus, then from the moment that God has given them that faith, that he will continue to keep them in that faith until the day of Jesus Christ, or they die and go to be with him one or the other. He knows that as a fact. He has laid that down as biblical doctrine because the Holy Spirit said, write that down. Okay, and he wrote it down. It's the Holy Spirit who has given us to know that truth. Therefore, they have always obeyed. Why have they always obeyed? Because God's principle of he who began a good work will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will perform it in them. Christ is performing faith in us. That's why they have always obeyed. And Paul knows they are going to continue, but he's exhorting them. Does Is he giving them a charge to do something that they can just pick up and do? No, he's exhorting them so that we know, exhorting them to, you know, my boss tells me, all right, now when I go in there, don't grab that, don't grab that thing that's got a thousand volts on it, it'll kill you. Well, is he telling me something that I, you know, I already know that. I'm already, con- I'm already convinced that if I grab that thing, it's going to kill me. But what's he doing? He's encouraging me in that. Just a reminder, just a reminder, just a reminder, just a reminder. Paul is going here and saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we know that's going to happen because it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do with his good pleasure. Now, I've gone a little bit longer than I thought I was going to go. But let me say this, because I really want to hone in on this 13th verse, which says... Both to will and to do his good pleasure. Now, brethren, I don't see how any of us can argue over the fact that this scripture is plain and clear. That any working out of salvation is because God is working in us. I don't think anybody, even Arminians, aren't going to deny the fact, that, that, that fact. But here's what we have to understand. He said, God is working this in us, but what's He working in us? Both to will and to do. See, nobody wants to look at that where it says, God is the one who works in us to will. God is the one who is working our will. If I'm looking unto Jesus and trusting in Him alone, why is that? Because God is 
working my will to do so. If I love my brother as myself, how am I doing that? It's not by my ability because I fought, fell, and, and do it. And even at that, we don't do it perfectly in this flesh. But if I have any kind of love towards my brother in the fellowship of the gospel, it's because he has caused me my will to do so. If I read my Bible, if I study, if I give, if I help, if I whatever I do, it is he who gives me the will to do that. So what does that mean? We've got to think of these things because a lot of times they say, well, yeah, we believe that. God gives us the will. He gives us the desire to be, to be these things, to do these good works. But let's think about this for a minute. He's the one who causes us to do also. To will and to do. He gives us the will to do it, and then he gives us the enabling to do it. He gives us the will and the doing. If he gives us the will to do it, that means he is having to overcome an already will that doesn't want to do it and giving us a will that does want to do it. Right? Is that not seem right? It says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do. If I am to will to do and do that which he gives me the will to do, it's because God has exerted a force of supernatural work upon me outside of myself, a divine work, his spirit, I would say, has exerted that upon my will, Mike's fleshly will, and overcome Mike's fleshly will and the spiritual will is taking charge and is doing what God wants me to do. Because it says here, to will and to do of His good pleasure. Now, you can take this in a couple of ways. You can take this in a couple couple of ways, and it could yeah, probably mean both. I don't know. I'll, I'll stand for correction here. But it's, I've, I've always thought in the past it means to will and to do His good pleasure, meaning to do His law, to do His will, to do His commands, all of His commands. So it's God who causes us to will and to do His commands. And then we go around and say, well, God would want us to keep all the law, right? Wouldn't God want us to keep the law? You mean God doesn't want us to keep the law sometimes? I mean, surely God wants us to keep all the laws. Well, then why doesn't he... If he's the one that's causing me to do... If he's the one that is exerting his will so that I will do his good pleasure, his law, or his commands, his good works, then why doesn't he exert that will all the time? If, in fact, he is doing it, he therefore has the power to do it, and if he has the power to exert over my will and make me do something that I naturally would not have done or could not do, then he has the power to do it, right? If he has the power to do it, why doesn't he exert it at all times? 
so that I will never do anything that is not according to his good pleasure or his will, commands, laws. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is, for it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do at his good pleasure or in his good pleasure or because of his good pleasure. It says, to will and to do of, and the word his there is not in the original Greek. It's been added by the translators to help with the flow of English language to move forward. But it says, to will and to do of good pleasure. I think it's more consistent with the scriptures that God exerts and causes us to will and to do the things that he wants us to do. When he wants us to do it. You say, well, wouldn't that always be to keep the law? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Did he want Pharaoh to keep his law? No. Because he hardened his heart. So that he would break the law. So that he would be rebellious against God. Did God restrain David from lusting after Bathsheba? No, he didn't. God could have exerted on the will to will for him to turn away like he did with Potiphar uh, when Potiphar's wife came to uh, Joseph. Potiphar's wife, the, the, the king or the leader, the, the ruler, his wife came to Joseph and started to flirt, trying to get Joseph to commit adultery. And just as soon as she began to do that flirt, Joseph took off and, and ran. He didn't just say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. No, he took off and just like removed himself from the whole situation, took off and ran. He could have done the same thing with David. He could have exerted upon the will of David and he had, could have caused David just like he did with Abimelech. Whenever Abimelech had taken Sarah and, and Moses had lied and said, this is my sister and not my wife. And Abimelech took Sarah into his uh, harem with all of these other wives. But yet God kept him from laying with Sarah. He restrained Abimelech from sinning. He could have done that with David. could have done that with Cain. But God had other purposes. He could have done that with Joseph's brothers who threw him in a pit. Sold him into slavery. Lied to their to his father. Said that he was mauled by uh, 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 an animal. They could have said in. I mean, God could have turned and changed all that, but the Bible says that it was by His determinate counsel. <clears throat> so, to me, at least, I'm to my understanding. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. We are willing and doing at God's pleasure whatever God wants us to do. People say, well, so you're saying that, we, that we're robots. Then. Yeah. 
the Bible doesn't use that term. The Bible uses that we are clay. That he's a potter and we're the clay. He makes us into whatever he wants. The Bible says that our hearts are like rivers of waters. And he can turn it wherever he wants. The Bible says the king's heart is in the Lord's hands and he turneth it wherever so he wills. God can turn the heart of a king and make a king do something the king didn't want to do. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar riled up against God. God caused him to go on four, like four legs and grew hair and ate grass against his will. Made him do that. At the end of all that, Nebuchadnezzar's heart was a lot different. Changed. God turned his heart. The Bible says that he can turn our heart wherever, wherever he wants us, wherever so he wills. Well, because he can turn the heart wherever so he wills, then I could say right here that God is in us to work, to will, that's changing our heart, to do what he wants us to do, to do his pleasure, what he wants. Because we are just his creation. We are his clay pot. He can mold us, turn us in any direction. He's the, he's the potter. We're the clay. Are we robots? No, we're his creation. We serve his purpose. Whether it be as the elect of God or whether it be the reprobate. We serve his purposes. We serve him. At his will. In his determinate counsel. So whenever we work out our salvation with fear and trembling... That is to continue to walk in faith towards Christ Jesus. And he does that by changing our will, causing us to do that. And he does that at his good pleasure. Why? Because he's the one that gives the measure of faith. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold, 90-fold. He gives it to some and he doesn't give it to others because not all men have faith. He does it at his prerogative. He does it at his will. He is the one who gives us growth in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who causes us to become more wise, to have more knowledge. Matter of fact, we see uh, in the passage, if you want to look with me over into Philippians, in uh, chapter 3, he says, verse 9, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which of the law, but that which is through the faith of, the, uh, of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. He says in verse 16, Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Verse Chapter 4, he says, Stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. Not in your own works. But stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in what He has done. Stand fast in what He is doing. And I may just comment on a brother's deal and we'll end with this. A lot of times we have <clears throat> we we deny or we neglect the work of the Holy Spirit to keep us, 
to work in us. We have full confidence of what Christ has done for us, objectively, outside of us, as our substitute. But then we turn around and we negate everything that we're saying that we believe in what He has done by denying the work of the Holy Spirit. When I say deny, I'm not saying stop the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm saying we do not give, uh, we do not give credence to, we do not give, um, uh, 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 we do not give any kind of outward, uh, confirmation that we even believe this. Whenever we then turn around and think that it has to be accomplished by us. That somebody has to be saved because a preacher got to them. That the Spirit can't do that work without the work of somebody else. The Spirit can do that work. The Bible says that Christ has been given power over all flesh to give life to whomever He wills. Not to whomever the preacher gets to and preaches to, but to whomever He wills. That's to be born again. He gives life. The Spirit is the one that teaches us. It says you don't have any need that any man should teach you. But that anointing which you have from above, it will lead you into all truth. It will teach you. It will be your teacher. The Spirit of God has been given to be our comforter, to be our teacher. And yet we say, well, we can't do that unless we have John Gill telling us what, what that actually says or what you know John Calvin says or what the confessions decree. Oh, let's look down. What did the churches all say all through history? We got to make sure that we line up with them, otherwise we might be unorthodox. Well, the majority of churches down through history were unorthodox. They weren't orthodox; they were unorthodox. Meaning, they come from the harlot church. They continued in their harlot ways. They didn't have the true gospel. A lot of those confessions and creeds of old, those ancient fathers. Those 4th and 5th century fathers, they were Catholics. Who cares what they say? Is it, is it in line with the Word of God? That's what we care about. This right here tells us what it's all about. Alright. Anybody got any questions? Anything you'd like to say? Lord, we thank you today for your word. We thank you today for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for Christ Jesus. And we thank you for the opportunity once again to be here today. We pray for Brother Ed this morning, Lord. We ask that you be with him while there in Oklahoma at the nursing care facility that he's at. And we ask, Lord, that you might be with all those who are attending to him. Lord, we just pray that you might help him get back into right health and right mind. And he might be able to maybe once again be able to be with us. And Lord, we just thank you again for all that you are and all that you do. And Lord, we just uh, praise you for your grace and your mercy that we have in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.